This is the uh, one day of the year where our 1045 service is the biggest of all. Um, curious how many of you really, really struggled this morning to get up. I can't see hands because it's dark in my face, so I'm assuming most of you raised your hand. I'm grateful that you're here anyway. Uh, thankful uh, that you're here with us, whether you're in person, whether you're online. Uh, glad that you're here. We've been in this series the past few weeks called Adverbs, where we're looking at a set of core value uh, statements. And I told you from the beginning, these are my kind of personal uh, core values for ministry, for life in general. Uh, Core values I'd like for us as a church to embrace as we move forward, not reinventing the wheel, not doing any of that. In fact, some of you may not realize this, but before Crossroads was ever even officially a church, I mean, not not talking about our first service way back when, but when Brad was in the planning process of this, one of the things he had to do was actually set and write down basically all the the paperwork of what this church would be. And that included core beliefs, it included core values, it included mission statements, and those core beliefs haven't changed over the, over the last 28 plus years. And the core values, what we're talking about today, are very, very similar. Some of them are just worded a little differently than what Brad has, has had over the years. So we're not reinventing anything, we're just highlighting a few things that kind of stand out to me in my ministry. And the, the two statements we've looked at so far are that we will relentlessly pursue a deeper and more transforming relationship with God. Last week we talked about how we will uh, genuinely practice authenticity and unity in our worship. Today we're going to look at our third statement. And if you're uh, one of these that actually tracks the bulletin and the order, we flipped them. And so we're not talking about passionately today. That may be the one that's teed up there for you. It was a miscommunication between me and, uh, and uh, Mark and Stacy. Um, I, I flipped the order kind of to coincide with ministry team signups. Today our word is eagerly. That's our adverb for today, and the statement is simple. We will eagerly serve others. Very simple. No, no fluff to this one. It's just pretty straightforward. I, I told you last week that the first two statements that we talked about, the first two core values are you to God. They are you aligning yourself with God through pursuing him and through worshiping him. Today and for the next three weeks after today, they're going to be more outwardly focused on how you individually and us collectively can try to impact the world around us through the church. And so we look at this idea of eagerly serving others, and here's kind of, kind of how I flesh this out just a little bit. We feel that every member of the body of Christ is responsible for using his or her physical or spiritual gifts, energy, time, resources, and finances to help honor God through ministry. We follow the teaching and example of Jesus. We don't exist to be served, but to serve. We believe the church should be intentional in seeking to help the poor, and we view the poor as anyone lacking some necessity in life. We challenge all of our people that attend Crossroads to be intentional in looking for the needs in the church that they can help to meet. Now, let me ask you a question before we dive into this today. What, what motivates you to do the things that you do? Like, what, what drives you? What motivates you? Several years ago, I took a personality assessment, and it was one that was created by a company called Motive Matters. And the whole purpose behind it, unlike some of the other personality assessments, is it's supposed to help you determine what motivates your decisions in life. And it was things like power, peace, uh, emotion, or fun. Those were kind of the four main, main areas that, that drove the decisions that you made in your life. Uh, kind of along those same lines, there was a book written several years ago by a man named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Some of you are probably familiar with this. Uh, curious, how many of you have read this? 
How many of you actually would know what your love language is without me having to tell you what they are? If you're unfamiliar with this book, The Five Love Languages, what he does is says every person adapts to one of five love languages, and that's how you best receive love. And the love languages are physical touch, quality time, acts of service, receiving gifts, and words of affirmation. And so every one of us will best receive love in one of those particular ways. For me, it's words of affirmation. Uh, It's not necessarily an ego thing. It just, when people tell me that I did a good job with something, that lets me know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's how I receive love. My wife, it's quality time. Uh, She wants to be with me all the time. It doesn't make any sense, but she wants to be with me all the time, no matter what we're doing. I had a pastor when we were in Arizona who uh, said this one time, and he, he got his words crossed, and then it became a running joke, that for him, his love language was physical touch. And for his wife, it was receiving gifts. And there were times that they couldn't love you know, each other, so he, he said sometimes she just goes and buys herself things, and I just touch myself. <laughs> and then he realized what he said. He realized how those words came out of his mouth, and then that became his running joke from then on. But we get this, right? We all receive love in different ways. But I think sometimes we have to stop and actually flip this around when it comes to the five love languages. Not how do we receive love, how do we best express love out of one of those? So think about this for just a moment here. How do you best express love? Do you best express love through physical touch, through quality time, through giving gifts, through giving words of affirmation, or through acts of service? I can just tell you, for me, words of affirmation is the one that I receive the best. I'm not very good at giving that back out the other direction. Not because I don't want to, or it's just I don't instinctively think of it. For me, it's more of acts of service, or maybe it's actually physical touch. You might notice on a Sunday, I'm not necessarily a big hugger. I will give you a hug, but I'm quick to shake a hand or or tap somebody on the shoulder. Like, it's just kind of a, just letting you know, hey, I'm, I'm glad to see you. Just a real quick little thing. It's kind of how I turn and express it back out. But for how many of you, you would say your, your, your love language of, of giving it out, of expressing love, is acts of service? Okay, a few of you, yeah? See, I think about this because when it comes to giving love, when it comes to, to, to putting that out the other direction, all of those cost us something. They all cost us either time or energy or effort or maybe it's or resources. Maybe it's just your gifts that God has given you. But acts of service seems like it's the one that actually requires a little bit of everything. Requires a little bit of everything that you have when it comes to serving others and giving it back the other direction. And I think it's important because more than the other languages that are here, acts of service, serving others, is the one out of all those that really flips your perspective off of yourself and points it toward other people. I think that a life that is lived just for me is ultimately a wasted life. And, and yeah, I think it's possible to go to heaven with a saved soul, but a wasted life. I mean, you, you can go to heaven because you've believed in Christ and you've, you've accepted him and you've made him Lord and you've followed him. But man, you can go to heaven sometimes in a selfish manner. And, and I don't want to debate whether or not that's valid or not. I just don't want to experience it myself. That's something that I want to be sure I'm giving out towards others. And I think when it comes to that selfishness that so many of us can often have, nothing can break the power of selfishness easier and faster than serving others. If you've got a Bible, we're going to be in John 13, and I'm just going to walk through a very famous story in the Bible, and then kind of dive into the why and the how of serving a little bit today. 
But in John 13, we read a story of Jesus serving his disciples, and it's on the last night that he is alive. Last night before he is, he's about to be arrested in just a few hours, he's going to be crucified the next day and put in the tomb. And as we read this, it's so important to always remember how the Gospels work. Matthew and Luke really write good chronological uh, Gospels. Mark kind of mixes his up just a little bit, leaves some details out. John writes a whole different animal. He writes stories the other Gospels don't so much. So it's important sometimes to piece those together. Because sometimes the big key story in John, you've got to dive into the other Gospels to get some important details here. And as we read John 13, talking about the Last Supper, a detail is found in Luke 22 that goes along with this. When in Luke 22, it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which was considered to be the greatest. Now, them is the disciples. A dispute arose among the disciples over who is the most important, who is the greatest, who should be closest to Jesus, who should be closest you know, to the pastor, who should have the best seat in the house and be the most important person in the room. I'm really glad this only happened in Bible times and we never deal with it anymore today, right? No, of course we do. And it's easy for us to read this and go, man, those disciples, they were so immature, I can't believe that. They were all angling for influence. You may not, it may not be a big driving factor for you, but we all want to be noticed. We all want to be, be, be known on a first-name basis by everybody. We want to matter. We want to feel important sometimes to an inner circle if we're around one. But remember this particular moment right here because this is key context diving back into John 13. And there's one more layer of context that John does mention at the beginning of the story here. Because in John 13, verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. Some of you know the story we're about to talk about in John 13. But if you don't, just remember, Judas is one of the 12 disciples. He has already agreed to betray Jesus. He's getting ready to do it shortly, and he is at the table with them. Jesus knows this. Jesus knows what Judas is about to do, And he's at the table anyway. So file that away as we dive into what's coming next. Verse 3. In the midst of this argument, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped the towel around his waist. Key part of this is where it says that the Father had put all things under his power. Again, Jesus knows everything that is going on. He's in complete control of all this. He knows what's about to happen in just a few hours, and he knows by this time tomorrow I'm going to be in a tomb. Have you ever been asked the question, if you only had 24 hours left to live, what would you do with it? Maybe you haven't been asked that directly, but maybe you've just seen it and it made you think. And I know for me, I don't have an exact answer, but just some of the things that popped in my head was like, you know, I'd probably just hop on a plane and go to Europe. I don't know, go see something. Or maybe I would go... Maybe go skydive. We've got 24 hours left. The shoe doesn't open. You know, <laughs> not a big deal, right? Like, we do those things that maybe are too dangerous or that we, we haven't really taken the time to prioritize or taken the money to prioritize. We want to do maybe that one last big experience because, hey, we can live with a reckless abandon. There's, no, there's literally no tomorrow, right? Or maybe it's a little more personal. You want to go have one more conversation, spend a little bit more time with that one person that really sticks out to you. What would you do if you only had 24 hours left to live? If you knew that you only had 24 hours left to live? Here's the kicker. Jesus knew that he had less than 24 hours left to live. And look what he does. Verse 5, after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. 
context of this here. In this society, okay, this is a Jewish society, but it's becoming more and more of a Roman society. It was a very hierarchical society. They had positions on a social ladder, and everybody knew them. They were very clear-cut, and you did not dip down and do a job that was below you or beneath you. And at the top of the ladder was the master. At the bottom rung was the lowest of all servants, the lowest of all slaves in your house, the one that did the worst jobs possible. Jesus is hosting this meal. He is the top of the rung in this room right here, right now. And the person who washed feet was at the bottom rung. They were the lowest of all the slaves. And you may say, well, foot washing, we don't really understand that today because, I mean, I just take a bath or a shower every night and, and I wash my whole body, so I wash my feet naturally. We wear shoes and socks. Yeah, that's how we, how we are. In this society, though, they wore sandals or they walked barefoot. Very rarely would they wear a shoe that closed in their whole foot. And unlike here, we have nicely manicured lawns or concrete or asphalt. There it was dusty and dirty, so feet would naturally get dirty. And they needed to be washed. And not only were feet literally physically dirty, but they were figuratively dirty. The foot, because it touched the ground and touched the dirt, to a Jewish person was ceremonially unclean. So the person who washed feet, again, was the lowest of the low on the rung of your servants in your home. And here is Jesus, the God of all creation, God in flesh, putting on a towel and grabbing a basin of water and going to wash the feet of his disciples, including the one who's about to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. We think about this because often I think we wonder the list of jobs that we wouldn't dare do. And here's Jesus washing the feet of the people who were just arguing over which one of them is the greatest and washing the feet of the man who is about to betray him. And he goes on to say in verse 12, after he had finished washing their feet and put on his clothes and returned to his place, he asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? This question kills me. It's like one of the most ridiculous things that Jesus asks in scripture because they have no flippin' clue what Jesus has done for them. They, they don't. And I love it when Jesus asks a question like this, because I think he does this to me sometimes and probably to you. Ask me a point-blank question knowing I have no answer. Like, I like to do this with my kids just to mess with them sometimes. That's what he's doing here. They don't know. But Jesus had his reasons for asking, knowing that they didn't understand what he had just done for them. Verse 12, 15, it says, I, he, Jesus says, I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. He says in verse 16, Truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And look at verse 17. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus never shies away from challenging us, from calling us out, from pushing us out of our comfort zones to go do something that we might think is beyond us or beneath us. But that's exactly what he's doing here. And let me just say... If our goal as Christians is to become more like Jesus, and that's what we've said the last two weeks, that we relentlessly pursue him so we can learn to become more like him and that we worship him as we do become more like him. If that is our goal, and here at this church, that is our goal, then a very obvious step is that we will begin to learn to eagerly serve others. And I know many of you in this room, many of you online, have and currently do serve this church, some of you in many different roles, many different capacities. I mean, we're grateful for that. We're so grateful for you all. Some of you have served in the past. Maybe you're taking a break. You're taking a little bit of a season off. Some of you may wonder, why do we ask for people to help serve? And I think 
as we dive into this, it's really a simple answer because that's, that's what we're supposed to do. So let me just kind of focus this in two directions today, and then we'll call it a morning. Because when we talk about serving, it's not just as simple as saying, hey, we just, we need your help. We need the, you know, we need the free labor around here. It's not that simple. There's more to it. So what I want to do is answer, answer a couple of questions. And the first is, why should we serve others? If we say we want to eagerly serve others, we'll ask the question, why? Well, there's a couple of very, very simple answers. The first, because Jesus told us to. And I don't know about you, but for me, when Jesus tells us to do something, I kind of want to do that. Many of you are familiar with a couple of the commissioning statements that Jesus gave us. The Great Commission, we talk about that a lot, Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or there's one in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that we did a series on that last fall, when he says, go be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But there's another one that flies under the radar that for me kind of became my personal ministry mission statement. It's found in John chapter 20. The night after Jesus returned from the dead, he, he walks into a room where his disciples are, very possibly the same room where they're washing the feet, and he tells them, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I love this statement because three times in the Gospels, Jesus states why he was sent. He says, I came or I was sent or the Son of Man came or the Son of Man was sent. And one of those is found in Mark chapter 10. And in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 35, guess what we see happening? An argument over who is the greatest. Like this wasn't the first time they did this, right? This time it starts with James and John, that same John who wrote those words. As the Father sent me, I am sending you in John chapter 20. The two brothers are arguing with the other disciples because they want Jesus to notice them. They want to set one at his right hand and one at his left hand, the two most important positions in the room. They want to set as close to Jesus as possible. And you know somebody like Peter is not going to take that laying down because he's important. He does a lot of big things. The other disciples aren't going to take that laying down because they want to matter too. And in the midst of, of their argument, Jesus just lays into them and lectures them. And at the end of it, in verse 43 of Mark 10, he says, Whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And here it is. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Go back to John 20. As the Father sent me, I am sending you. How did he send Jesus? He sent Jesus to serve. Now, if you're curious, the other two, he sent him to seek and save the lost and to bring life to the full to other people. We're not going to dive into those today, but that's one of the reasons why he came. Jesus came to serve, and he told us to do the same. But the second reason why we should serve is not only did Jesus tell us to, he also showed us to. Jesus wasn't one of these that just said, do as I say, not as I do. My dad used to tell me that all the time. Hey, do as I say, not as I do, because he knew that despite his best efforts, there were going to be times that the stuff he didn't want me to do, he was going to do it right in front of me. He was going to have a reaction to something. He was going to let something slip, and I was going to pick up on that. And Man, there's no better accountability than kids that repeat everything you do, right? We're seeing that with, with Titus, especially repeating stuff back, and my wife and I looking at each other trying to figure out which one of us said the word he just repeated that we don't really want him to know, you know, things like that. No, Jesus was not a do-as-I-say, not-as-I-do kind of person. He modeled it. And we see in John 13 a great example of him serving others. And what's kind of funny is when you flip through the Gospels, you don't necessarily just see page after page of explicit example of Jesus actually serving, but what you see is Jesus in his entire ministry 
is a ministry of service. You see him coming down from heaven, as Matt mentioned earlier, and, 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 and being with us, giving up what he had in heaven to come become one of us, putting on humility around himself to serve us. And I think when we see, whether it's John 13 or Mark 10, we see the disciples arguing and Jesus answering back with an answer of humility. What we see should be something that is like looking into a mirror that, that kind of shakes us up just a little bit. Because often, I don't know about you, I get in this mentality of, of not necessarily arrogance, but more just selfishness. Like if I have free time, if I have free resources, if I have just, you know, if I've got a little extra, what do I tend to do? I tend to just see how I can use that for myself. If I've got extra free time, I'm just going to find some way to kind of take my mind off of stuff and relax. And if I've got extra money, I'm going to think, how can I use that? Is there something new that I want to buy or if I can use for my family? We do this, right? It's easy and natural for us to dive into this. It's not necessarily arrogance or pride. It's just a selfish focus. That's where we tend to go a little bit here. And I think I'm probably not the only one that deals with this from time to time. It's easy to find myself focusing on myself. Now, let me be clear and say there are times that, yeah, we need to stop and focus on ourselves. We need those moments, whether it's a moment of Sabbath or a moment of rest. I mean, even Jesus took moments to get away from everybody because he needed to recharge. He needed people to just leave him alone for a little while. But don't think that that's a place where we should just live. And I'm going to dive more in a couple weeks onto the importance of living in community. And having people around you talking about groups, talking about, about avoiding solitude long term. So we're going to dive more into that in a couple of weeks. But at its very core, fulfillment in Christ doesn't work well with a selfish, prideful, self-focused kind of life. In fact, I'd say it like this. The only way we can't find satisfaction with Jesus is because our pride is bigger than our ability to follow him. Uh, the only way we can't find satisfaction with him is if we're so focused on ourselves that we cannot stop and remember what it costs to follow him. And the spoiler, a spoiler right there is it costs everything. He tells us, take up your cross and follow me. Pick up all the, the, the stuff that you want to cling to to life and let it go and follow me. So serving, it's something he told us to do and showed us to do. And it's hard to serve others when we're holding on to everything in our own arms. To let go of all that requires humility. And that's the third reason why we should serve is because humility is discovered in service. Serving can be very easy to do it so that everybody can see what you're doing. And I've known people in ministry even that, man, everything that they go do, that's just a part of their day-to-day -day job, they're taking a selfie and posting it on social media for everybody to see. Now, sometimes that's important. We want to, we want to share, share what we're doing so you can see that we do this and maybe you want to be a part of it. But it can never be about, hey, look at how, look at how holy and righteous I am. Hey, everybody, look how humble I am. You know, kind of an ironic type of statement, right? Jesus was very clear about this. He warned us not to do this. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. We don't serve to be recognized. Now that said, we do pause and recognize those who serve here. If you've served at Crossroads for any length of time, man, thank you. I appreciate that. 
Last week, we were honored and blessed to get to honor and bless our, our volunteers. We had a volunteer appreciation uh, dinner, which is the second time we've done that, at least since I've been here. And it was kind of funny because last year, we had a handful of our volunteers who, who felt very awkward by setting down and us serving them. Like we told you, you aren't doing anything tonight. You're not cleaning off a table. You're not stacking a chair, nothing. We're doing all of this tonight. And it's like there was this level of uncomfortability there. Like, no, it's fine. For one night, we want to honor you all. They didn't want to be recognized. They want to be recognized. In fact, it was kind of fun because we gave away some door prizes this year, uh, including an autographed Chiefs uh, Super Bowl poster. We didn't tell everybody who it was autographed by, but it was autographed. Um, and it was funny as they were looking at it. They're like, does that say Mark Palmer on it across right there? <laughs> Wait, is that, that's Tracy Armantrout up this leg, Okay. I guess they thought my signature looked like Mahomes. I don't know. But it was fine, you know. It was fun. We did it for fun. But none of our volunteers were there demanding anything. They weren't there to be recognized. It just was an honor for us to honor them. No, we don't serve to be recognized. Yes, we have some teams, and if you serve on them, you're going to be in a visible role. If you're on our music team and you sing up here, you're going to be front and center, and you're going to be seen. That's just kind of part of that one. And we've got some other teams that are visible on Sundays, but kind of visible uh, maybe either out front or, or off to the side, like our welcome team or our nursery team, our kids team, our students. We've got some that are kind of visible to the sides, like the guys back in the back right now, sound and production and media. And here in just a few minutes, our fellowship team will be back there. In fact, it was kind of funny, my, my younger daughter, Amelie, wanted to serve and join the fellowship team because they give out donuts. I said, that doesn't mean you get to eat all the donuts. You serve them to others. She goes, but I get to eat a few, right? Like, she, you know, she's trying to justify how she can be on this. We have some teams that are, are not necessarily visible on the weekend, but they're visible throughout the calendar, like our men's and our women's ministries, our marriage team, our outreach team, missions team, or maybe our, our, what we kind of call our on-call teams, like our pastoral care and our service ministry that are there when needed. Then we have our invisible teams, our teams that we couldn't function without, but we're so grateful that are here, like our building ministry, our grounds team, our helping hands ministry, our follow-up team, and our setup team. Grateful for our setup team. Those are the guys that are here when I get here at 6.30 on a Sunday morning, dragging all these chairs out and putting them up every Sunday morning. And we're grateful for all these. And let me just tell you that when we serve, we do it not for our own glory, whether you're a front and center or you're, you're off to the shadows. We serve for the glory of God because that's what Jesus wanted us to do. Because in serving, we model his humility and we get to honor him in doing it. In Colossians chapter 3, we're reminded of how we serve God when we serve others. It says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I think about this because if we remember what is written in Genesis chapter 1. We are all created in the image of God. So when you serve others, you're serving the image of God. You're serving God. For me, that's a great, a great opportunity for me to stay humble in serving because I realize what's, what's actually happening there. We're not just doing a job in the church because a job needs to be done. We're honoring God and blessing his kingdom through what we do. So serve with humility. But here's the thing, too. A lot of people will, will give me reasons why they can't serve. And I've listed out four excuses that are pretty common excuses here. 
And I've heard these at all the churches I've been a part of. I haven't heard them a whole lot here. I may in time the longer I'm here, but I've heard them at all the other churches I'm a part of. And let me just say, there's some validity to some of these, but I'm going to poke holes in them as well too. Okay? So here's some excuses that we often hear why people can't serve. The number one excuse they might give us is that I'm unqualified to serve. Now, let me be clear. Maybe you're unqualified for certain roles. Like if you can't carry a tune in a bucket, don't sign up for the music team. Okay? Now, I say that. There are roles within that team that you could do. Like you could do some of the, the logistical or administrative work of putting stuff into the computer. If you're not good with kids, don't sign up for the kids' ministry. If you've got a face that just tells people, I'm not really happy to see you, don't sign up for our welcome team. <laughs> we have places for faces like that, okay? Like, we can, we can find something for you to honor God in those types of ways. Somebody after the last service goes, what team do you have for a face like mine? I said, uh, let me think about it. I'll get back with you next week. No, we have places for you. You might be unqualified for a very specific role, but you're certainly not unqualified to serve the church. In fact, let me just, if you think you're unqualified, can I give you a list of people who are also unqualified? Uh, first off, the 12, the 12 disciples. They were unqualified to teach the gospel because they were average, ordinary, unco- uh, common, unschooled men. Abraham was unqualified. He was too old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused and neglected and thrown out. Moses uh, couldn't speak very well, and he had anger issues. Jeremiah was depressed. Rahab was immoral. Peter was rash. Thomas was too doubtful. Martha had too much anxiety. David was an adulterer, a murderer, and a pretty bad parent. And Paul, don't get me started on Paul. In fact, Paul calls himself the worst of all sinners. You think, man, if, Kurt, if you knew what I've done in my past, you wouldn't let me serve. David and Paul probably have you beat. And they served God maybe greater than two men have ever served God. You're not unqualified. And if you, if you don't know where you are qualified specifically, like you, you said, well, what, am I, what, am I, what should I do? What am I wired for? Let me just encourage you. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Get a list of some of these spiritual gifts that God has given each and every one of us. And then find online a spiritual gifts assessment. Take it. See what it says. And then come look at our ministry team list that we have. Because you're probably going to find somewhere that you can plug in and serve that fits where you are gifted. Here's a second excuse we often get. I'm too busy. First you say I'm unqualified. Now you say I'm too busy. I'll say this one can have validity if you try hard enough or if you justify it hard enough. Especially if you're in the same uh, stage of life that I'm in right now. Man, I've got... My three kids, and it is getting to a busy time of the year. I've got two playing soccer. Our youngest hasn't even started yet, and we're already soccer practice three nights a week and games usually two days a week, and that's just one sport going on. Plus, we've got all the end-of-year stuff coming up with orchestra and preparing for middle school, and, man, the list goes on and on and on. My wife's starting a new job and, and you know, going through all this. Life gets busy. But here's the question. What are you prioritizing? I had somebody once that wanted to be very involved with youth ministry, wanted to be one of the leaders in youth ministry, never came to church on Sunday. I said, well, I can't let you lead youth if you're not going to be here on a Sunday. And they said, yeah, but I have to work. I said, well, what about all the rest of the week when you're coaching sports every night of the week and all day Saturday? I get it. That's a good ministry that you can do. But what are you prioritizing? You want to serve the church You'll make time to serve the church. And yeah, I get it. Sometimes there are seasons in life, especially if you've got a newborn, 
You've got to be a mom. You've got to be a dad for a stretch. That's okay. My wife's gone through these stretches where she feels bad because she hasn't been able to serve in the way she's wanted to. And it's, it's been reassuring for me to see other older pastors and pastors' wives who have been in our season of life say, hey, it's just a season. You'll get through it. And then you can plug right back in and do all the things that you want to do. It's okay to take a brief pause, but don't make that a permanent habit. Find a way that you can serve. Here's the third re- excuse that we'll often get. Well, they don't need me. They probably have plenty of help. Let me just tell you right now, that couldn't be further from the truth. Every one of our ministry teams right now is looking for more hands. COVID really wiped our teams out, and we're still recovering and rebuilding back to get back to full strength on those teams. In fact, we've got another, another team we're trying to get kicked back up that COVID just killed, trying to get it kicked back up where we could have some, some more use for people even. If you're curious what our teams need, Man, take about 10 minutes before you leave and just, just stroll through the foyer, the classroom over here. So we've got all of our ministry teams. They were out here last Sunday. We wanted to do it again. We had a lot of people ask, can you do this again, again next week? So we're out here again. We've got whether it's our team leaders or people on their teams are out there. Men, ask them, hey, what, do you, what, what can I help with? How much help do you need? How many hands do you need? How many people do you need involved? Because they'll let you know. They'll let you know what you can do for them. Crossroads will never become the church that God wants us to be without you all. We've never been that way. Brad didn't start this church that way. We're never going to be that way. And again, it's not about what what we can just get free labor from you all. That's not it at all. As pastors, our calling is to equip and empower you all to be the church and to do the work of the church. Ephesians 4 is very clear about that. And, And so we want to help you all bless others by being active in the church. Here's the fourth excuse, and this one's the one that sometimes we hear and sometimes it breaks my heart. But it's simply, that work is beneath me. I've heard that one sometimes. I heard that my last church I was in. We would ask if people would serve maybe in kids' ministry or, or serve here or serve there, and they say, well, I did my time. As if it's, you know, something you do for a while and you're done. And let me just tell you, man, there's nothing that's truly beneath us. I, I could ask you the question, maybe you can answer it. What, what's one job that you would say that's beneath me? I would not ever do that. For me, it's washing feet. You know why? I don't like feet. One of our ministry team leaders who remain nameless, but it was Dan Simmons, um, last year <laughs> broke into my office and put his bare, nasty feet on my desk, took pictures and sent them to me while I'm standing here serving the Lord through sermon. Okay. <laughs> I don't have my phone on me, but as soon as I get off the stage, I open it, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, Brad, I need a new desk, okay? I can't go back in that room anymore. It's been cursed. I just don't like feet, okay? I don't like my kids' feet on me. I don't like my wife's feet on me. I don't like my own feet, okay? I don't wear flip-flops unless I'm going to the pool. I mean, I just, I don't like feet. What would it be for you? What would be the one job that you would say, I just won't do that? Maybe it's changing diapers, scrubbing toilets. Maybe it is... Being out front because you're not a people person. What is the one job that is beneath you and below you that you would say, I would never do? <clears throat> Let me just tell you, Jesus, that's exactly what he did. He took the one job that he was absolutely overqualified to do and, and up the ladder to do, and he did it anyway. 
Philippians 2, it says that we must have the same attitude that Jesus had. That though he was God, he did not <clears throat> excuse me, think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Jesus not only taught us servitude, but he showed us humility. And let me just reiterate this, this is what I said earlier. If you want to avoid being satisfied with Christ and being satisfied with God, the only way that you can do that is to make your pride bigger than your ability to follow. Make it about you. And too often when you say that job is beneath me, that's what you're doing. Either I already did that and it's somebody else's turn now, or you know what? I should be doing this job over here instead. Now again, I understand what I said earlier. We're wired for certain things, and you should try to find some way to serve that fits with how God created you to be. But don't think anything is beneath you. Your desire for personal gratification can never be bigger than your ability to submit to God. Again, what does Jesus tell us in Matthew 6? Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Instead, or if you do, you'll have no reward for your father, or from your Father in heaven. I hear from people all the time that they want to lead, whether that's leading in the church, leading in ministry, leading in their community, leading just in their family. And can I just challenge you with this? If you want to lead like Jesus, you have to learn to serve like Jesus. If you want to lead like Jesus, learn to serve like him. Serving provides so many things, so many opportunities. It provides humility. It provides community. Man, I, I made friends when I was in Arizona. People that weren't on staff, just members of the church, because I served with them every Sunday. Friends that I still communicate with. We moved to different parts of the country. We built community because we were together every single week. Serving almost becomes like a second small group. And some of you who serve on a team together, you understand this. You can be a great testimony to this. But did you realize that when you serve the church, you're doing so much more than just doing some job here? that you're making an impact in the kingdom and helping us make an even bigger impact in the kingdom around us. So here's a takeaway for you today. Sign up for a ministry team. Probably pretty, pretty shocking that that's the takeaway today, right? Sign up for a ministry team, but also to find ways you can serve in the community around you. If you're in a small group, this is a great thing that you can do. Get your group and go serve your community. Find projects you can do for those around you. Find ways you can serve in the schools around you or maybe serve a hospital around you or find ways you can just serve somewhere. Serve your family. Serve the less fortunate. Plug in and serve on a team here because, man, we want to be servants that chase after the God who chases after us. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful for the example that you gave us through Jesus. God, the example to be humble to continue to humble ourselves, but God, also that you called us to do, to serve others, not to look to be served. God, I pray that, that everybody who has been serving God, you would just bless them, God, with rest, with fulfillment, with energy. God, not so they can turn around and do it again, but God, just so that you can honor what they've done. You can show them the difference that they've made. God, those who haven't served before, let them see what's going to happen if they do. Not that it's a chore or a job that has to be done, but a way to bless you, a way to worship you, a way to bring honor to you in all that we do. 
God, I'm grateful for our ministry teams here. I pray that you would be with our, our team leaders. Give them strength. Give them encouragement. God, help, help them to always see the value that they bring to the church and the value they bring to those who serve on their teams. God, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. I pray that in his name. Would you stand and sing with us?
be today. Lord God Almighty, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you be seated? I'll get you out of here in just a quick second. But as the children's pastor, I want to use your hands. The nursery wants to use your hands. Now, then there's 20 other groups out in the lobby that want to use your hands. I'm just going to be selfish. And I have the microphone, and so I can. We need 25 more people in the children's ministry. You're not overqualified. You're not underqualified. I have middle schoolers to retired people. Miss Shirley, are you here today? No, Miss Shirley. I have a 90-year-old on my team today because she loves sharing the love of Jesus with little kids. You don't have to know the Bible well. You don't. You just got to come and have fun. And one of the things I'll get to in just a second, but the first thing is table groups. This is for ladies. You got there are ladies meeting all over the city asking the two to four or five questions and just talking. Once a month, uh, it's really easy. My wife's actually in two groups. She loves it so much. And um, she, I call one of her groups the old ladies club and one of the groups the moms club. And she laughs at me because she's not the old lady in the group. Sorry, Pam. Um, and so, um, but they get together and they talk and they eat and they fellowship. And that's what table groups is all about, ladies. And we want you to be part of that. And so right out here on the left-hand side is the women's table. And if, ladies, if you want to be part of one of these groups of just building community and sharing life together, go ahead and sign up for one of these. And, and we have another opportunity for you to serve. It's called Trick Shots and Pancakes. I want you to get in your head now, dude perfect. If you know who those guys are, then on April 1st, you know what we're going to do in the parking lot. We're going to kick soccer balls at gongs. We're going to put pies on people's faces. We're going to do all kinds of things, but we can only do that with your help. Um, last year at our color run, which is our, our Easter outreach event, which is what this is, we served pancakes to over 400 people. And we're expecting the same kind of crowd this year. And we have, we're going to set up 10 different stations, 10 different trick shots in the parking lot. But we need you guys to run those little carnival-type stations, carnival-type trick shots. Um, bas there's basketball, there's sports, there's all kinds of things. Um, the sign-up for that you can find in the bulletin, and it takes you to the website. Um, they're 30-minute windows. If you can give me 30 minutes on April 1st. picking up a soccer ball, putting it down, and having a kid kick at it. And then you get free pancakes, too. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. Um, with that, along with, maybe you can't do that. Maybe you can just donate some candy or some stickers or some light the glow sticks. Um, out in the lobby, there's a big metal trash bin. Um, we would love for you to donate some candy to that event because they get treats as they do these trick shots. And so we would love for you to donate to that. There's multiple ways for you to get involved. All of that you can find on our website along with everything else the church is doing. If you guys would stand with me, I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to go out and use our hands for Jesus this week. Dear God, we thank you for today. 
We thank you that we have hands and we have abilities and we have gifts and that they're all different. May we use them to serve you. May nothing be beneath us this week for your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a good week. i
Let the king of my heart be the shark. 